time now for our series on New Zealand sporting history. And today I'm joined by one half of our most successful Olympic team, along with Hamish Bond. Eric Murray won back-to-back gold medals in the men's coxless pair rowing events at the 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games. Uh, when they finally finished up in the sport, they had amassed a streak of 69 race wins. That included six world championship titles to boot. As a result, they won Team of the Year at the Helberg Sports Awards three times. They took out the Supreme Award twice, and Eric Murray is with me today to talk about some of the highlights. Eric, hello. Jesse, how are you? Very good. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for coming on to tell your story. Where does the the Eric Murray rowing story begin? Oh, the beginning. Um, Well, if we go right back, uh, I was like any other... I guess New Zealand kid growing up um, in the late eighties, early nineties, um, where rugby was everything was all about rugby. Yeah, um, and so loved loved my rugby. And then when I hit high school, mid nineties, um, was still playing rugby, um, but I was looking for a sport to keep um, fit for the rugby in the in the winter. And, and rowing sort of popped up on the radar. I didn't really know a lot about rowing, um, and just got busted up at an assembly one time. Anyone keen to row and couple of mates said, oh, should we go give it a go? And next minute, I'm, um, I'm rowing. Very terribly, I will say, to start with. Um, <laughs> but after a couple of years in the sport, um, it was quite evident that I was better at rowing than I was mm. at rugby. Um, and that was basically the pathway um, forward. What is the hardest thing to get right when you first jump in the boat? Oh, I, I, it's... It's not making mistakes, catching crabs. I think anyone that's ever like rowed, if you, because you've got to, you've got, there's so much going on. You've got to move up and down on a slide and you've got to put this oar in the water, but you've got to turn the oar from, from a horizontal position to a vertical and get in the water. And if you, if you don't do it very well, you knife it in. Or if you overdo it, then the oar doesn't lock into the water and you basically slip out of the, well, won't say slip out of the boat, but you, you catch what's called a crab and it's, Just that the oar, the oar, the oar basically gets stuck in the water, and it brings everything to an absolute halt. <laughs> um, so that's that, that's the art. That's the art to start with. And once you get it going, um, your your the idea of rowing is to not make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. What was your club? Uh, I was at Pukekohe High School and the Mercer Rowing Club. So that was um, that was the the learning curve. We learned how to row in the flooded. When you you know how you drive past Mercer if you're coming down this way yeah. to Hamilton, yeah. And um, and there's those those paddocks that always get flooded yeah. behind on the other side. We learned how to row in those um, <laughs> because they were flooded. And then um, and then we finally went on the river. Um, and then yeah, was just uh, was training there a couple of times a week, and and that leads you into your sort of first experience of doing some racing. Yeah, kind of lucky that you found your sport in a way, eh? Uh, it was. I um, like I was a very, very active child when I was um, growing up, and I was in triathlon development squad, and I played football, hockey, like everything. I did everything, um, and yeah, and it just got me to a point where I started going through obviously puberty and, and grew a little bit larger, um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I just had to fill into myself, and and it sort of. You know, because I was so active and I needed to burn that energy, I guess, um, uh, rowing just became the avenue to be able to do that. Um, and then once I started realizing that I had some sort of potential, you, 
it's like any sport you just get fixated on it and that's pretty much what happened and you you spiral down a rabbit hole of of following people and, and getting your idols and everything else and then next minute you are thinking crikey could i give this a whirl and and you grow a bit older and you mature and and one thing one thing leads to another and you're moving you know, I was moving from from Bombay down to Christchurch to be part of the Avon Rowing Club because it was the best at the time. Um, and yeah, it's it's it spiraled. Uh, I went down a very large rabbit hole. Let's say that. Yeah, and not wanting to get too much into your head, Eric. But have you worked out what it is about you that makes you that person? Not all of us go down the rabbit hole. Not all of us are driven <laughs> to become as good as we possibly can at the things we do. Where, where does that? Um, I, I don't know. From. I honestly, I'm not sure because I was just always, I just wanted to do, to do things. Um, and I guess I had a good uh, work ethic growing up where you don't quit on things. You know, my parents um, had instilled some pretty good behaviours and, and that type of thing. I won't say I was a very good kid, but never mind. Um, <laughs> but the whole thing was, yeah, that you just, um, it's like, I'm going to I'm gonna give it a crack and I'll finish it out. So, of course, with rowing, you've got like obviously a season. So you start sort of rowing in October and then at the end of March, you're sort of finished. So you're like, well, I'm going to stick at it for that period of time. Um, and so that was sort of how it was. It was. And because I'd sit to it and stick to a goal, then it's like, well, how hard can I push myself? Let's yeah. get into training. Um, one thing leads to another and you start doing well and you're getting results. So you put a bit more time and effort into it. And, and that's, and that's really how it goes. So I, I think I've, I think I've always been quite a competitive person. Well, I definitely was when I was younger, um, and I just loved winning. And I think that's if you've got that and you're really hungry about just trying to be the best and and see how well you can be, um, I think that that really does start off on a, start you off on a very good track to to try and push it and be even better, not only just regionally but then nationally yeah. and then internationally. So then, let me ask you this: Now that your um, your sort of professional rowing days. Uh, behind you do you miss that competition in your life do you f- try and find it other places <laughs> uh i don't particularly no um it's a really weird feel I, i'm not sure because even now i've i was always generally a realistic person so um i knew what i was very good at and i knew what i wasn't good at and i knew my weaknesses and my strengths and so you know if i was on a rowing machine i was you know i was one of the top people in the world and um and and especially with our rowing but now that i've finished i'm like you know i've got into golf and i'm like i'm realistic i know i'm pretty bad um you know and so it's even though i want to do well um I think sometimes you've got to look at it and be and just wind yourself back and say, okay, yeah, you you were young and you were fit and you're energetic and now you're 41. Um, and so you know, like the time the time has gone to be super super competitive and that type of thing. Um, so I'm I'm sort of redirecting my energy not only to my autistic son and, and stuff that I do with him, um, but just other facets in life. And I think that's really what I have done since I've finished. When did the Olympics get on your radar? When did you start to believe that that would play a role in your life? Uh, I, I really felt the Olympics were a pipe dream until I was uh, pretty much the year that I made the Olympics, um, which was 2004, um, my first Olympic Games. Prior to that, I was developing. I was in a program. We were sort of the first I guess you'd say high performance program at Carapero, even though it was very amateur, that we still didn't have any funding. Um, you know, you were working and training and that sort of thing, but it was a centralized program. And 
we had a very good group of people there. We had eight guys um, that were training, and there was a group of ladies with the, obviously the Invisible Dell Twins. Um, and we knew that there were six spaces that had been qualified for the Olympics, and I was one of eight. And so it was basically just like, make sure you're in the top six. Um, and so, you know, a series of testing and stuff that happened over that summer, and it was pretty evident that I was inside that that number. Um, and then when we got selected, I was, yeah, I was in the four, and and it became a reality that, hey, you're, you're actually going to the Olympic Games. Um, and so that very first Olympic Games, I was young, I was naive, um, I'm 21 years old, yeah. turning 22, and and I was there as an experience. And of course, you get a very very solemn wake up call when you arrive, and then you race, and you're like, holy heck, this is <laughs> this is pretty crazy. This is fast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and 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 we were very lucky in a way. I would like it's the only time I really use luck. We were lucky. We had a good draw. We made the final, um, and then of course we got fifth in the final. But we were well behind every other crew. But the fact was that we had sort of given ourselves the taste to do it. Yeah. And then when I, when I came back, it's like, right, where's the next 1,356 or however many bloody days it is to the next Olympics? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm all in. You know, yeah, and you sign cool. up for that. Yeah, you sign up for it. And that's with any Olympic program and, and I guess any Olympic athlete. It's just like, right, for the next four years, I know where I'm living. I know what I'm working towards. Um, all the decisions that I'm going to make are around me and what I need to do. Um, and, and that was really the, the start of trying to better what we had done by that, like getting to the Olympics. So we weren't just going there to make up the numbers. We were actually going to go there and be competitive and try and pick up those medals. But then 2008 was maybe a bit disappointing for you. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest learning curves of my career. Um, yeah, we, we had been world. Cha- we we finally started getting it right. Um, we won the world championships in two thousand and seven in the four. Um, Hamish was in that four with with us as well, and um, uh, we just couldn't recreate what was making us good in that first huh. year. Like we just we we didn't improve. We we probably lost a bit of speed. We weren't too far off the mark. We were still getting fourth, you know, third, fourth at the World Cups, but we just couldn't find the magic. Um, that was leading us to be successful. And then we had a very difficult semi-final and we missed out on the final. Um, and one of the, you know, we won one, two and three from our semi-final go on to get gold, silver and bronze. So it was, it was a hard pull to swallow. Yeah. Um, and at the time I was like, well, I'm going to take a bit of a break. But Hamish basically said, hey, do you want to jump in the pier? And when we were in the four, we trained together in the pier and we knew we had something, uh, that was, that was very good. Um, and when the opportunity arose, I was like, well, you know what? I might as well give it a nudge. I'll give it a nudge for a year anyway and see how it goes. Um, and then when we jumped in the pier, uh, yeah, there was there was really no stopping us. I'm talking to Eric Murray about his Olympic golds and what made them so good. Yeah, as a rower, I mean, how do you decide whether you're going to be doing single, two, four, eight? Do you just give things a go and, and see which one you do best at? <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. When you when you get to the, the elite level, you you've got you know there's so much training you have to do by yourself, or there might be a couple of other people around, and you know you've got to have the personnel to get into the boats, and you've got to have the coaches that are willing to give their time and, and everything else. Um, and so normally you've got a squad of people, and you'll be like, oh, when when and you chop and change all the time. You're rowing with different people nearly every day, so you start to figure out quite quickly where good combinations and people that that work together. Um, and so you see crews that are fast and crews that aren't fast. 
Um, and, and so a lot of times you take destiny into your own hands and you go, well, I've rode with seven other people and I feel like I'm very good with, you know, Joe, Jim and, and Johnny, mm. but well, I'm very, very good with Joe, you know? And so you go, well, and then you talk to him and say, Hey, should we, should we try and train in the double a bit more or pair or whatever? Um, and that's really how it came about with me and Hamish is that he knew that I was very good in the pair. And so he was like, should we, you know, let's, let's give it a go. And, and, and that we took destiny into our own hands by going into that pair ourselves. Um, and and that's generally what tends to happen at Rowan New Zealand. You know, Mahe was like, I want to go on the single. And, and he, so he shot on the single and look what happened there. And Emma was no different. She started in a woman's eight in the double and then she's like, no, I'm going to go on the single and then she's in the single. You know, so there's, there's bits and pieces like that um, that sometimes as an athlete, you've just got to be like, I feel my talent or I feel my energy is best suited to be an individual or into a team is it a small team a large team um and that's really how you try and um, find a way because most sports are very difficult when you're doing them by yourself and i never felt like i was in, like an individual person i really thought i could bring mm. um a, a really good amount of effort and collaboration into a team to be able to work together um, this is possibly a strange question, but do you worry about hurting people's feelings? Is there politics around who you're going with, who you're not going with, leaving teams, breaking up fours or twos, that sort of thing? Uh, at the end of the day, at the high level, it's all down to a selector's decision. Um, so you put yourself in that position by proving yourself during the summer and regattas and bits and pieces. But at the end of the day, it comes down like it comes down to medals. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we, we've, we've seen it in the papers and, and everything that talks about medals over athlete welfare and all this sort of shit. But at the time, we're like, if, if I go in this boat, I have a better chance at becoming, let's say, top six, which then has a better chance of getting me funding. And so then I can limit my work or I can actually become basically professional. I can full-time train to be in rowing. So you want to put yourself in those best positions anyway. Um, and, and it does, and you can see it starting to develop over the summer with different people and different crews. Um, but of course, once we created the pair, like the environment, and, and we created that Kiwi pair, um, we didn't really have to worry about those sort of conversations or watching mm. how that was happening. We could just, we could just watch it from, from a distance of everybody else because we were set. Like no one was going to beat us. Um, so we had the pair sewn up. So anybody else that was trying to be an aspiring rower is like, well, the pair's out of action. So <laughs> am I going to be in the four? Am I going to be in the four, the double? Yeah. Do do we have enough people for an eight? You know, and, and that's really it's just how it happens because in all sports, you know, it's like no different with Lisa Carrington, you know. Um, and I think it's um Fisher, you know, they've been having a battle for that single spot, um, the K one five hundred. And of course it's just like, well, the one that we can only take one to world champs and whoever wins out of you two in these races is going to go. Um, and rowing seen the majority of it as well. You know, the Rob Waddell Mahe races and, you know, the Robbie Manson and, and, and Mahe races like it's happened. And, and we're probably in, in a way, it's a lucky position that you've got some very incredible rowers or athletes in, in case of um, Lisa, um, where people, people are still wanting to have a go and in a fair democratic way, if, if you want to say it like that, selection criteria should be very unbiased, and it's just d done on performance Merit, yeah. with a with a yeah with a selection t um, 
with a selection criteria that says you have to race A, B and C races and whoever wins at this date or this time over those races is going to be the person that goes. And, Got it. and that's how it works. And my only other question before we get on to these Olympics is do, do personalities matter? Would it matter if Hamish was, uh, uh, well, a jerk? <laughs> uh, I think they do. I think they do. We had a very, very good uh, relation, partnership relationship, I would say. Um, the fact was that, uh, obviously, you don't talk about it at the time, but you, you can funnily talk about it enough afterwards where, you know, Hamish thought that he was the best row in the country and I thought I was the best row in the country, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, and I thought Hamish was second best and he was the same in his eyes. So, of course, we know that we have to work with one another. So even though I am a completely optimistic, sort of happy-go-lucky guy and he's pessimistic, buddy, you know, shit's going to go wrong, that type of guy, um, it was we, we could just work out what we needed to do to have trust in one another and faith in one another um, and, and be able to work with one another in a very high-stressed environment. You know, we're living together all the time um, when we're overseas we're rooming together for three months so we learn those little idiosyncrasies that, that either of us had um, and and we managed to get some very very good harmony we never had uh, any bust ups or big arguments and a lot of it came down to the fact that if, if Hamish ever said anything I never said you know be quiet you turkey you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> I'd be like if you think that's going to make the boat go faster 100% you know right. if you think um, doing this training or going and training in this thing or changing the setup of my boat, that's great. I'll, I'll entertain the idea. And then it was exactly the same with me. If I said, oh, I don't think we're doing this in our program, he'll be like, right, should we you know, should we make some changes? And, and I think that's the one thing is that neither of us, we didn't have a hierarchy. We both had our individual jobs yeah, that we were that. sort of trying to do in the boat. Um, and that's what made it a, a very good, harmonious relationship. Um, and Emma, who says she used to work at Rowing NZ, wants me to ask you what... Hamish, or how Hamish once referred to you. Do you know what she's talking about? Oh, oh, oh. I don't know. Okay. That's Emma, you'll have to text one. it to me. You'll have to text <laughs> it to me. Okay, so you had plenty of those conversations heading into the 2012 Olympics, and how did that regatta go? Yeah, um, I'd like to say that part of our philosophy of being successful came down to knowing our capabilities. Um, we we would, you know, when you're training, the idea is to try and find out how fast you are, you know, like no different with, you know, Tom Walsh, how far can he throw that shot put? So that he can go into an event and be like, I know that if I, I, I feel like in my training I've been doing this mark. And that's what we were doing going into the Olympics is like we, we get ourselves fully prepared so that we, we know that we can produce a certain time or a certain um, uh, like race in the way that we we execute it. And so that's really what we were doing going into the games. And and I knew that we were fast because we were training in Switzerland and we had gone very, very fast at Lucerne just in a time trial by ourselves and and the men's double, like super quick, about sort of four or five seconds off world record pace, but there was no wind. And we were like, man, this is, we're flying. (laughs) So when we went in there, we had, had, I had a lot of confidence to know that we were on speed. So when we turned up on the first race and, and it's the heat and, and you've got to remember four years prior to this, we're sitting dejected on the finish line in Beijing. Um, so we're trying to squash the demons. And I said to Hamish, let's just have a good race. So we so we raced down the track and French got out in front of us and we passed him just before the K and, and then we just kept the foot on the gas all the way through and, and had a very good race. And it was like, great, this is awesome. And 
And and I said to Hamish, oh, it must have been pretty good. And it wasn't until we got off the water that we'd realised we'd just broken the world record by six wow. seconds. Amazing. So it was like, wow, okay. And so that really just, like, I'll tell you what, I was pretty burnt, I was pretty burnt up. You know, I was like, this is great. And then from that point onwards, it was just a process of make sure we go through the steps, right? Just think one race in front. Don't think too far in front. So we went through the semi and then we went into the final and it was just like, right, this is game time. Like, this is it. You can be the best going into it. You can be a world champion. You can be like have broken a world record. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win it on the day. You've still got to go out there and do it. And so it's what we just said to each other. We were like, we've still got to go out there and do this right now. You know, this is our opportunity. This is, this is most people get one opportunity in their lives, if that, to get to the Olympics. The statistics of getting to an Olympic final to getting an Olympic medal is, is ridiculously small. And so we just executed exactly what we've been doing in practice. Nothing different, didn't try and change anything. It was just like, we know this works. Um, came down the course, one first emotion across the line is thank God we didn't screw it up. And yeah, and then <laughs> gold medal goes around your neck. It's great. Yeah. Good party? Uh, yes. London. What goes on to us, what, what goes on to us, does not right, it? right, right, right. Um, <laughs> I mentioned earlier your eventual streak of 69 race wins. We won't get to go through this whole career today um, for time, but how important was it for you to win each of those races? Like surely no harm in, you know, in losing a few along the way. Or were you determined to be the guys that couldn't be beaten? Uh, I would have loved to have lost a few along the way. I'm not going to lie, because later on it became very, very stressful. Um, but, uh, yeah, because everyone's just talking like, well, the problem was that you, you, there was one, there was a couple of races in particular where we came off the water and I was like, we're going to have to do something about this. And we, and we talked to the psychologist and stuff. And I was like, cause, cause the way that we were approaching things was not about let's go out there and win today. It's like, let's go out there and make sure we don't lose. You see yeah. what I mean? And so yeah, yeah. it became a really, became really difficult to be like, I know we're trying to win. But in the back of your mind, you're like, man, I really hope we don't lose today because what's everyone going to say? Because we, we started becoming the most successful ever crew in, in World Rowing. The, the, the old record was about 36 races. Nice. So once we broke that, then, of course, every single race after that's like, can anyone catch the Kiwis? Are they vulnerable? Yeah. Is this going to happen? Um, and, and so it did become very, very stressful. But we, we just started off by going, let's go out there and win a race. The first time we raced internationally, let's just see if we can win a race. And then it's like, well, let's see if we can win the World Cup Series. Okay, we've done that. Let's win the World Champs. Um, and, and it wasn't, you know, we, we knew that we'd like to win every single race. And Hamish was very, very determined to do so. Um, and so was I. And, and, but it just started racking up. The numbers just started continuing and continuing and continuing. And I'd love to have not had to race because in the last sort of couple of years, every single race became quite serious where people were like, normally in a heat, you don't have to go super hard and it doesn't really matter because the first three might go through the semi-final. So you quite often see some of the favourites just like, eh, oh, we don't need to sprint today, we can leave that for tomorrow or, or Sunday. Um, but we had to do it every time. So of course people, if I if I was in someone else's shoes, I would have, I would have banded together with some other crews and said, right, you guys send it to them today, we'll send it to them tomorrow and we'll see if someone can beat them. Yeah. Um, and and that yeah and but that was that was just what happened and so you know yeah stressful um, it became part of who we are because people were like man this has never been done before how long they can continue it for people have done a one uh, a, they've won an Olympic cycle in rowing where they can go all the way through and not lose 
Um, but nobody's ever done it twice. And so to be able to do that as well was just like icing on the cake. Huh. Tell me about that win then in 2016. That must have been, you must have had heaps of confidence <laughs> plus just a little bit of like there is a way the story oh, ends badly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, the, the, the main, <laughs> the one thing that made 2016 a lot more stressful and this is this is an honest opinion here was the fact that we had been approached in January by um, publishers and they said, "Oh, we're going to get Scotty Stevenson to write a book about you." And we were like, "Wow!" And we had to talk about it quite openly. And I was like, "I don't know if I want to." And Hamish was like, "Well, same." And I was like, "Because I just don't want the stress of knowing that someone's writing a book about you that's going to get published like a week after you finish, and you don't want it to be the last chapter to be real shit." You know, like it's it's another <laughs> level of, of anxiety that just got put on top of us. So that was part of, you know, most people didn't realize that at the time, but that was on top of us as well, uh, along with everything that had been going, you know, like just, you know, we'd had issues with the coach and uh, all this other stuff. And it was just like, oh, my God, you know, so much going on. And uh, uh, so when we finally got to Rio, the other thing that made it more difficult as well was that the course was very, very difficult and the water was very rough because it's right next to Coco Cabana Beach, um, Lake Lagoa, underneath Cross the Redeemer. And it got very, very windy to a point where we had to, to be open and frank with you. The last, our final race at the Olympics when we won, I didn't enjoy that race one bit. Um, I like, yeah, okay, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I won the gold medal. But when we were rowing down it, we were hitting water. I can remember it vividly. We were hitting water. You could hear the water flying everywhere <laughs> from different people because it was so rough. And to, to put this into, into perspective for people, after the 2016 regatta in, in Rio, they created a fairness committee within world rowing because um, the regatta was pretty unfair. You know, like we should probably never, we should have postponed it, raced it in a few hours, raced mm. it the next morning uh, because it should, they probably shouldn't have been raced in that sort of rough weather. You know, like you've turned up to the Olympic Games all fit and firing and then you've got these weather events, you know, yeah. massive wind gusts coming across that are affecting everybody in different ways. And I know you still got to be the best. Like I still take it and say we still got to be the best to be able to win it, but it's still not as fair as it could be. Um, but you know, to be able to win that second gold medal, um, it was it was very very special. And um, you know, not in my wildest dreams would have I thought at you know when I was first throwing on the on the Mercer River, you know, on the Waikato River there, Mercer, would I have ever thought that I'd have two Olympic gold medals? But, you know, your pathways just start heading in a direction. And, and if you take the right choices or if you make a wrong choice but get back on the path, um, you know, you can take things. And, and I was young enough. I was still, you know, I was 34 at the time. And I was just like, this is great. You know, I had uh, great enthusiasm for the sport. And it was just like, mate, let's see how far we can take it. Eric Murray, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks, Jesse. It's all over. Sporting history for another week. A great conversation with Eric Murray about those back-to-back -back gold medals in the 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games.